You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Welcome everyone to My Victory Church. Welcome to all of you joining us online, wherever you are around the world. Special welcome to all of you. We are live, so why don't you go ahead in the chat, let us know where you are watching from, and I'd love to shout out to you wherever you're watching from. Excited to be here. Let's welcome everyone that's joining us in Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara. Welcome to all of you guys. Welcome Tabor and Okotoks and Claire's home and, and uh, Lethbridge. Awesome. We have Jen on there and Glenn is on there and Hope watching from BC. Good to see you guys. Yolanda, good to see you. Anna, awesome. Uh, great to see all of you guys. Deborah from BC as well. Lori, great to see all of you guys on. Rebecca, um, man, so very, very cool. And then we have Pastor Phil is on uh, YouTube as well and others watching on YouTube. So it's very cool cool that we get to do this, and, and it's awesome. I think we, I saw this week, Carson was saying that there's, we have 22 nations that are watching us um, on, online weekly. Isn't that cool? And uh, many provinces, and most of the provinces actually, and it's, it's really awesome that we can do this, and we're thankful for technology when we can't gather like this, and super excited about the fact that we can regather like this, and even more excited that we can open this up a whole lot more and may potentially be wide open uh, soon. This summer would be awesome. Well, welcome to uh, part four, our conclusion of the series, Parenting in the 21st Century. If you haven't uh, been watching this, I'd highly encourage you to go back. This is more than just them parenting. This is relationships at, at all levels. This is kind of life at all les- levels, wisdom for all of us to apply. Uh, but today, I want to conclude all this. We'll bring it home. And I want to talk about goal setting. Now, goal setting is something that we are familiar with, especially when it comes to our careers. Goal setting is something that we, we are familiar with when it comes to our athletics or just, just life in general. But when it comes to family and the family dynamic, it's amazing how many of us just kind of let life happen and come at us, and we don't ever sit down and think, well, you know, what's our family goal? You know, what do we want to accomplish? We don't have that conversation, husband and wives with each other. We don't have that conversation, you know, parents with children. We don't typically set goals. And if you don't set a goal, you basically, it's, it's kind of like, starting off on a trip with no destination in mind, um, you, I mean, that's fun to do sometimes, but not really if you're trying to, you want to get somewhere. You need to have, in order to, to, to get where you need to go, you need to have a destination in mind and then head in the direction of that destination. Is that not right? But many of us in life, if we don't have a destination in mind, we're just kind of letting our family life arrive at whatever location we're at. And I want to help you just kind of set up that destination, and that's gonna, it's amazing how everything else kind of falls in line with us. Now, when Joel and I uh, were about to become parents for the first time, way back when, a long time ago, actually, uh, 25 years ago, we talked a lot about parenting, her and I, and our expectations. We talked a lot about our, our goals. Now, both of us, like I said in the series, both of us came from very strong uh, homes, but we knew that even the strong Christian homes that we came from, 
uh, you know, all sets of parents all together, strong marriages on, on both sides. We're blessed, extremely blessed. We know how rare that is. But even with that, we had differing ideas and expectations as far as what life would be like as parents and parenting. And so we had lots of conversations and lots of conversations because both her and I had, had you know, witnessed good parenting personally, but we also had witnessed not so good parenting, you know, with friends and, and those in our things. We said, what do we want to accomplish? And we ended up setting an overarching goal for our family that has become our North Star in decision making for the last 25 years. And if you've, any of you had parenting conversations with my wife, you inevitably you've heard her say this. Uh, she says this often, and this is our goal, is that we're not trying to raise good kids. We're trying to raise healthy, contributing adults. So now what that means is, is like we talked about in this series, that the definition of a child is, is a mismanager, that children, a ch child, being childish, is when we mismanage and being immature is when we're mismanaging in a certain area. So a child is naturally born as mismanagers. They don't know how to manage their hygiene. Come on, parents. They don't know how to manage, you know, bedtimes. They don't know how to manage uh, their diet. If you allowed your child to choose whatever they wanted to eat, how would that go? Um, not well, for their health anyway. Um, they don't know how to manage, there's lots, of, basically in life, they just don't know how to manage. And what our job as parents to do is to teach them how to manage. And when they become able and capable of managing on their own, they're no longer childish. They're no longer child in that way. Which is why you've met some 30, come on, 40-year-olds who are still childish. Nobody's ever met those because they've never learned how to manage certain areas, aspects of their, their lives. So our job as parents, and this is what Joel and I talked about, is we don't want to just raise good kids. We want to raise healthy, contributing adults. So let me ask you this question. Have you set a goal, any goal for your family? Or are you just allowing life to come at you? Now in this series, I'll catch you up really quickly. We began with this this verse, and I cannot overstate this verse enough. In fact, uh, the more that I read it, the more I'm gonna, I think I'm going to set up pretty much every series with this verse because everything hinges on this. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another, which seems simple enough, except he says, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Another. Now this, when Jesus says a new command, he's not saying this is an additional command to the 613 laws that the Pharisees were enforcing on the Jewish culture in that time. Literally, they took the Ten Commandments and added a few. 613 is what scholars say the Pharisees were trying to, to govern in that time. Jesus came along and says, I'm going to replace all of that with this one overarching command, love one another, and love as I have loved you. And the disciples took this command very seriously. And in fact, that's what birthed, this command is what birthed the, the church. And, and this command is what drove the early church and what they did and how they did it. And, and in the first generation, they did it. And they trained 
the next generation and the generation after that to be able to do that. And I think we need to constantly come back as, you know, two centuries, you know, uh, 2,000 years later, we need to come back to this and saying this is what governs all of us as Christians. This should be what we live by. Amen? Love one another as Jesus has loved. Now let me ask you a question. How has Jesus loved you? Because those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, he's pretty amazing, isn't he? That he accepts us just as we are. That he doesn't hold our past against us. That he, that he, is, he runs at our pace. That he doesn't push. That he doesn't pull. Religion tries to push and pull. But Jesus, Jesus is, he's amazing, isn't he? And he says that we should love others as he has loved us. Now, Paul, second generation leader of the church, wrote two-thirds of the, the New Testament. Paul wrote this to the church in, in Corinth, and he said he basically gave us the how-tos of love one another like Jesus loved. And this is what, this is what Paul said, and we quote this scripture all, often at, at weddings, but this is not just a, a marriage passage. This is a love all, kind of love one another passage. This is what Paul said, and we've looked at it. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient, which we learn patient means to run at the pace of another. Okay, so love will run at the pace of another, not push somebody to, you know, or not pull someone to come up to our pace or push somebody to go faster. Love is patient, right? So as parents, we learn we got to run at the pace of our children, which sometimes is faster than us, especially as we get older. Sometimes it's much slower than we'd like. Ever take, I, I do this every week, take my six-year-old shopping. I get tested on this all the time. Yeah. Um, right? Love is patient. Love is kind, which is loaning another your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. That's kindness, right? Loaning their strength. Love does not envy, it is, does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, which we summed up that whole sentence in, in dishonor, where honor is valuing others above ourselves. So when we envy and when we boast and when we're proud, that's placing us above everybody else. That's why I envy. I should have what you have. That's about me. Boasting, that's, make, that's saying I'm better than. Pride is elevating myself above anybody else. Honor is 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 valuing others, everyone above ourselves. And honor is not one-sided. In other words, we, we're quick as parents to quote scripture, aren't we? We're, you know, children, honor your father, your mother. It will go well with you. But the Bible says that we're supposed to honor one another. Amen? And loving like Jesus loved, Jesus just didn't demand honor for himself. Jesus honored all, up, down, all around. He honored Everyone, right? Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, and it always protects. And we talked last week about discipline and how disciplining with a goal, and that all transgressions, when we're impatient, when we're unkind, when, we, when we're dishonoring, those transgressions create a separation in relationship. And so our discipline should have the goal of restoring relationship. Paul goes on, and he says this, love always trusts. That's a hard one. Not that any of the other ones are easy. But love always trusts. You've heard, you've heard it said that you have to earn trust. Right? 
Trust has to be earned. I would push back on that a bit and saying Jesus kind of love actually says that you give trust. Mistrust has to be earned. Why do we live like that? That we automatically give trust and that mistrust has to be earned. No, let's break this down a little bit. One thing I noticed growing up uh, was that the kids who were most disrespectful and the most disobedient brats um, uh, came home. You, you all picturing somebody now that you went, yeah. Those ones came from homes. This is, this is an observation I made, and this is when I was very young, and Jordan and I had this conversation often. But I noticed that the most disobedient, disrespectful people often came from homes that were the most strict. You ever put that correlation together? The, the most rebellious, disobedient, disrespectful kids often came from the homes that were the most strict, had the most rules. Now, hear me out. Rules aren't bad, but excessive rules set the stage for rebellion. Right? So now think about this. In Jesus' case, in Jesus' time, do you think 613 laws is excessive? Yes. Do you think that having the excessive laws like this created rebellion? Yes. Even Jesus rebelled against those laws. Didn't he? I mean, he, on purpose, in front of the Pharisees, ate with his disciples on the Sabbath, picked grain and ate it on, just to goat them on. And then they called him out and said, you're not a rabbi, you can't do this. And he goes, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. How about you read what Hosea said, the prophet Hosea said, and it says, I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. <laughs> but excessive rules create rebellion. So I've, I've seen that we're homes that create rules and excessive rules. It doesn't breed better kids. It typically does the opposite. So if we tie all this together, love always trusts Sometimes we need to trust our children. And think how much Jesus trusted us by saying, hey, I'm giving you one command, love one another. Just do that. How do we do that? He says, you figure that out, but just do this. I'll trust you to figure that out, but just love one another. So Joel and I talked about this observation, you know, excessive rules, creates rebellion, all the rest of it. So we, like, what are we going to discipline our children over? What are the rules going to be? How are we going to enforce them? And one of the things that really helped us, and I, I want to share this with all of you, and I encourage you to take notes and write some of this thing down. But we noticed that, and especially as, as parenting now through 25 years, we've noticed that there are different seasons in parenting. So that there's not one sort of rule or set of rules that work for all across the board, for all parents, that there's different seasons in which there's different requirements and different levels of discipline and different levels of, of involvement as parents in these kind of things. And it's really key to, to break down these seasons uh, in a child's life because that is gonna determine 
what you do or how you do it based on the age of your child and the stage of development that they are in. So for example, I believe there's four major stages of parenting. Age one to five, basically zero to one is, is the baby stage and you're taking care of everything, all their needs, but something changes when they start walking. Just <laughs> Anybody notice this? Your whole house changes. Everything decorating goes up. Anyway, it's amazing. But age one to five, this is what I would, we would call the discipline years, right? So the early years are when our kids are learning that there are consequences for their behaviors. And remember, we talked last week, we want to discipline in the three D's, which is disobedience, disrespect, and dishonesty. So Joel and I talked about this, okay, what are we going to discipline for? What's, what are the rules going to be? This is the discipline years, the shaping years, the, you know, this is, the, this is when they're learning consequences. What are we going to discipline for? We're going to, we're going to discipline for out-and-out out rebellion, with disobedience, which rebellion, when they know that it's wrong, but they choose to do it anyway, we're going to discipline for that. We're going to discipline for disrespect, especially dishonoring mom and disrespect for mom. We're going to really, we're going to hone in on, on that. We're going to discipline for lying and for dishonesty. Those for the three D's, right? Dishonesty, disrespect, dis, you know, and, and disrespect, dis, disobedience, and dishonesty. So discipline is important. It's also important, especially at this stage, to celebrate when your kids are obedient, respectful, and honest. Because what gets celebrated, gets repeated. Isn't this right? So when they tell you the truth, even when it shocks you, celebrate the truth. And when they, they are honoring, celebrate honoring. When they are obedient, celebrate it. And because what gets celebrated gets repeated. The second stage of, of, of child stage, is, is it shifts at age five, so age five to 12 is the training stage, okay? So training, basically, um, you wanna train, this is the training period where we're connecting behaviors to consequences. You wanna connect their behaviors now to, to consequences. So this is kind of the shaping thing. You go from discipline, but now to training, to teaching them how to manage, and, and this, this is, you know, and connecting the dots for them in behaviors, good behaviors to good results, bad behaviors to poor results. That's the training stage. Then you go into the next stage, which is ages 12 to 18, is the coaching stage. Now, the coaching years are more about connecting than correcting. Okay, so this is more about connecting with your kids than correcting your kids. This is where, where love always trusts. This is where you start to give exponential trust. And this is the time when, when parents kind of freak out and teenagers, right? And this is when the time when parents clamp down. Wrong time to clamp down. This is the time to actually give trust and watch and, and believe that what you've disciplined and trained them in up until this point is going to be manifested here. And now you're just coaching them to bring out their best. That's what a coach does is bring out their best. This is a time to coach and to allow... Parents, allow natural consequences. Don't rescue them from all the consequences. Because this is a time to go. So just an example for trust. So at 12 years old, this is connecting rather than correcting. At 12 years old, we did this for each one of our kids, is I took uh, the boys and Jordan takes, takes the girls and we got one more coming up 
that's going to hit the stage, and Joylene's going to take her on, a, on the same trip. But um, I took all of our boys on a weekend trip, just one-on-one, on one. and we would go, and we'd spend the weekend together and have a lot of fun and make a lot of connections. And then we'd had conversations on this trip, and you can ask my older boys about this. They, they still remember these trips and the conversations that we had. And we said, okay, you're 12 now, and most, uh, you know, most groups of people at 12 years old, you know, Jewish have bar mitzvahs, it, you know, there's, there's different periods where at 12 years old, they just say, you're now an adult, and, and all of our previous centuries up until this, at 12 years old, this is when kids would, Jewish kids would be done school, and they would go and work a trade, and all that kind of stuff, and we, we don't do that in our society so much, but we thought, okay, at well, 12 years old, we're going to extend trust, and so we said, you, you, the rules are going to change now, everything's going to change now, and one of the rules that we changed is the bedtime rule. And I said to each one of them, I said, okay, you're 12 now. You should be responsible. You're responsible for your own room, for the upkeep of your own room, and you're responsible for your own bedtime. We don't have a bedtime or a curfew for you, period. And I can, I can already hear some parents going, what? <laughs> and I said, I said, no, listen, you, no bedtime. Simple rules example where everything's changed. That was an easy example. Everything's changed. You now can choose when you go to bed knowing full well as a parent that that would get abused for a while. And this is what I said. No bedtime rule. However, you will be up on time and you will be going to school and everything's ready. Lunch is ready. We're not going to be kicking you out of bed. If you sleep in, that's on you. All the consequences, all, all that's on you. But you will be up on time. You will you know, you will function as a healthy human being. And so for the first week, we'd hear them up all hours, all the rest of it. And then you could see by the end of that week, all of a sudden they'd be dragging their butts around and they'd be all the rest. And then suddenly they learned how in their own consequences, that's coaching, they'd learn their own, the consequences of some of the decisions that they made in the, in the link and going, we trust you. We didn't clamp down when that got abused. We just trust you to do this. And they corrected Naturally, simple seems, right? <laughs> then you get to the 18 plus, and this is the friendship stage. This is the fun stage, right? Where you've reached your goal and the time when you're able to be friends with your kids. I don't like when parents say when kids are younger that my best friend is my kids and all the rest of it, and we're just friends. Mm-mm. There's a time for that, but you're the disciplinarian, you're the trainer, you're the coach when they're young. You're the parent, right? And you need to shape them in that way. And then when they're 18 plus, be friends. Paul goes on, he says, love always hopes. Love always perseveres. It's interesting that hope is linked to to a compelling vision of, of moving ahead, of, of, of hope into the future. That's, that's where hope. Perseverance happens when we have a clear picture. So this is why I'm saying you know, create a clear, compelling vision of what you and your family are all about. Begin with the end in mind and ask, what's the purpose of our family? What do we want our family to look like 20, 30 years from now? What kind of strength and, and abilities will our children need to have in order to be successful when they're full grown? 
right? And remember what Solomon said. Solomon said this in Proverbs 29, 18. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So think about that. Where there is no clear, compelling vision in the family home, and one translation says, the people lack restraint. Where there is no compelling vision in, in your home, a goal that you've set together, that you're working on, everything will run amok and they'll lack Restraint. So having a clear, compelling vision allows you to persevere. It allows you to hope. And it will allow you to discuss the values and the principles most important to you. It will allow you to determine your priorities ahead of time. Without a clear vision, you will constantly be in a state of reaction instead of being proactive. So here's some questions. I encourage you to write these down to ask your family, to have discussions, even this week, sit the family down, have a family night, and have some of these discussions, no matter how old your kids are, and saying, okay, what kind of family do we really want to be? And just let them talk. What kind of family do we want to, I don't know, what do we want them to be? You know, ask another question, what kind of home would you like to invite your friends to? Ask your children that. What kind of home would you like to invite your friends to? Or if you dare, ask them, what embarrasses you about our family? And don't get defensive. Listen. What makes you feel comfortable here? Or what makes you want to come home? And then ask, what makes you feel drawn to us as your parents so that you're open to our influence. And then if you dare, parents, ask what makes us as parents feel open to your influence as kids. And then an overarching powerful question to ask is what do we want to be remembered for? As a family, what do we want to be remembered for? Now just to help you along, here's a a vision, a goal, that I think would be a great just example of, of an ultimate goal, and we'll, we'll say this as our, our, our takeaway, but this is a great, great goal. I believe it was Andy and, and Sandra Stanley who, who said this, and I was like, man, this would be for all families, and this would be an example of a great ultimate goal to set as a family. The ultimate goal is to raise children who want to be with their parents and with one another when they don't have to. The ultimate goal is to raise our children, raise children who want to be with us as their parents and with one another when they don't have to anymore. Because the, alt, the, the backside of that, the other side of that is you want to avoid having perfectly behaved children who don't want to come home. Right, let's go away from the excessive rules part. Right, you don't, perfectly behaved children who don't want to come home. Let's just put this in the church context. We want to have, we don't want to have to be perfect. This is what Jesus said, Lord, make them one. That was more important to Jesus than make them right because he didn't want perfectly behaved children who didn't want to have relationship with the Father. Isn't that what religion does? It's boring, it's dull, it's irrelevant. It doesn't, it doesn't invoke relationship, it does the opposite. So as parents, we don't want to have perfectly behaved children who don't want to come home, or we don't want to have perfectly behaved children who can't wait to leave home. 
Right, Mom? Right? And we don't want to have children whom you can't wait for them to leave home. <laughs> right? So, we love as Jesus loved in all of our relationships. We don't demand honor back. We give honor first. We don't demand they run at our pace or that, that we push them beyond what, what we see. We, we are patient. We are kind. We loan them our strength. We are honoring. We value them above all else. And we set a goal in mind and saying, hey, this is all about relationship. We discipline for relationship rest restoration, and this is all about relationship. And we have a clear vision of where we want to get to as parenting in the 21st century. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much again for how relevant your word is that thousands of years later, God, there's so much in here that we need to live up to, that so much in here that will help us as parents, as husbands and wives, as employees and employers, as just in relationships in general. And God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to be able to do it and to follow through. And Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our helper, that you will help us to love as Jesus loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that will do just that. Uh, so let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God, and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now, to become my Lord, my Savior, my friend. Thank you that my past is past, that my heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we have a link that has been posted uh, in the comment section. Just click on that, or you can even like it. We want to reach out to you. We want to get uh, hear your story, get to know you a little bit better. We'd love to also send you a Bible. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.